Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Oh, it's Thursday, so that means we just stepped into the time machine for Throwback Thursday. And in this show, we'll walk down memory lane with Houston's most iconic sportscasters. They're going to share some of their favorite memories covering sports in this city. You'll hear pieces of conversations we've had with Matt Musil, Craig Roberts, Bart Ennis, and we'll start it off with Lance Zerline. Without further ado, let's get on the magic platform and step into the time machine. Let's start off with Zerline, who's been on nearly every sports radio station in town over the last quarter century. Right now, you can hear Lance with his longtime off-and-on partner, John Granado, from 7 to 9 weekday mornings on the bench, 97.5. Yeah, that's the way they went about that's it. That's not what they said. Tim Let's Bo- keep doing dumb stuff. Tim Papura had no sway over Drake McClain. None. We asked him about sports radio over the years and his radio marriage with John Granado. But we started off by asking him about his favorite sports memories, uh, but with a little addendum. The memories could not be related to any of Houston's championship teams. Uh, favorite, I would say, um, 86 Rockets beating the Lakers, getting past them with Ralph Sampson's turning spin-around shot. Because um, Lakers were such a good team back then. And for the Rockets to get past them and did it with Dream uh, out because he got kicked out of the game after a fight with Mitch Kupchak. I remember I watched that up, and me and my brother were supposed to go to bed, but we went and watched it upstairs on the TV. Um so, I mean, I would definitely say that one. I would say, uh, you know, I think the entire 98 Astros season was pretty fun. That, that was a really good. Even though the Astros won national, they got to the NLCS and they went to a World Series the year after that in 2004 and in 2005. If I had to pinpoint it, I'd say the day that Randy Johnson was added to the Astros at the trade deadline because it came out of, no, it came out of nowhere, I think that would be on there. I would say... You know, first game ever for the Texans, getting an NFL team back and then having them beat the Cowboys all in the same stroke was, you know, that was that was a really, uh, I think that was a really, really cool moment. I didn't feel as strongly about the Astros in the, you know, in the 2000s, honestly. Uh, I know they went to a World Series, which is the first time. It's just, I don't know, I didn't feel as those teams as Randy and, and I mean, you had um, – um, you had Clemens and, and Andy Pettit coming in, and those teams weren't very good. They were just average for part of the year, and they, they closed strong. You know, baseball is a long season for you to have a team that's average for much of the season, and then you finish strong, and it looks like a really fun season or a fun year, but that really wasn't the case with those Astros teams, um, to be honest. Hey, assuming Bum and Rudy T are the two best coaches in Houston history, here's an interesting one. Who do you put number three? And I'll let you include Guy V, Wayne Graham, Bill Fitch might be a possibility. Uh, probably Guy V. I mean, that many Final Four appearances, coaching that level of talent. He had arguably the, you know, when it comes to the most exciting teams in, in uh, Houston sports history, Ficeland with Jam is, is definitely up there with any team that the Astros throw out, any team that, most any team that the Rockets throw out there. And you had that team together for a good, solid Two years and then three years, if you count Dream, uh, um, you know Dream's junior year playing playing with it was then Ricky Winslow and, and Greg Anderson when they went to the Final Four. But I'd have to say for Guy V. Lewis. I'm glad over. he finally got to the Hall of Fame too. That was fun. yeah, that was nice. That was nice. And you know Rudy is I don't think Rudy is one of the best coaches from a X's and O standpoint, but 
he knew how best to get those pieces to fit. Bum Phillips, I think, is more, you know, I, I don't know. I'm a coach's son, so when I think of coaching, I think of, you know, actual coaching. And, and I think Bum Phillips was kind of a character, but I don't have a problem with you putting him in the top three because he was a great character and the Love You Blue era was a fun time. I mean, I was just a little kid, but third, I'd probably say, yeah, I'd probably say Guy V. Lewis off the top of my head. He was really a, a fantastic and fantastic. Well, he had a lot of success. I don't know that he was a fantastic coach. He had some some issues with, but, you know, honestly, I thought some of his coaching may have really hurt them in terms of their own national championship run against NC State. But um, Guy V would probably be my third. That's a, I'm glad you mentioned that name. I, I want to talk to you about uh, sports radio because you've been in it here, uh, longtime sports radio host in Houston, and you know, most notably with John Granado. Can you kind of describe how that that show came about and? how that on-air chemistry was just so good between the two of you for so many years? I got to know John. I was just sitting in my house trying to, you know, get into sports. I was I was doing some different things with a uh, handicapping service I created called Pigskin Sports, and I would watch John on Channel 51 when it was a local kind of cable outlet station, and I would go out to – I went out to a, a couple of his events and introduced myself, and every once in a while I'd – you know, I'd call him and say, yeah, I don't know. I, from what I remember, like I just I would call him every once in a while at the station and talk just for a little bit, or I'd show up at the events and we kind of, you know, we had a little bit of a rapport there. And I remember one time he asked me if I wanted to come out and do, they needed help since it was a daily, daily show. And they had lost a guest for that night that they had booked and asked if I could come out and do something fantasy football wise. And I said, yes. And, you know, we just, he just got to the point where he thought he could trust me on on television to provide some pretty good content. And I was a guy that could call last minute to do stuff. So he got to know me a little bit and I would go out there every once in a while and do some different sports stuff with him. And then an opportunity arose where he and Russ small, were going to do a show on six ten, and then Russ small, who was at seven forty at the time bailed out and said, you know what, I'm going to stay here. So it left John Granado by himself. And John told Dickie Rosenfeld, who was the, the general manager at the time of uh, 6'10", he said, hey, how about the guy that you've got on on the weekends? Because by that point, I was doing some weekend radio for um, for 6'10", because I'd done, you know, Kenny Hand and and Rich Lord. I'd, I'd done pigskin sports, football handicapping with those guys. So Dickie, the general manager, liked me enough to, to tell me I could have a fantasy football show on the weekend, and I was doing that. And John said, hey, how about Lance? You know, how about, how about him? And, and I'm 20, at the time, I'm 27 years old. I'm cheap labor, and Dickie had heard me enough that he thought I might be okay. So he said, "Yeah, well, you know, let's let's do that. Let's take a chance." And so, really, that's how I got started. Well, that's great. And as far as sports radio too, how it's changed from what you were in the '90s to to what it is today. I mean, it's really kind of a different different animal, isn't it, for you on the air today? Oh man, it's it's just way different. Number one, and it's just different in so many ways. In one way. It's a shame because back when I started, number one, the, the the Texans weren't even here. So we would talk a lot more college football. We'd talk more pro football at different teams. But the Astros were a major, major topic. The, the Rockets were just you know a couple of years removed from their last championship, and they were bringing in guys like Barkley and then Pippen, and there was always drama with the team. And they were all you know it was still Dream was on the kind of on the decline, and you had different things to talk about. So it was. 
you know, you, college basketball was was the term. I wasn't it wasn't huge on radio, but you would still talk about it a little bit. And which one of these guys might be future Houston Rockets? And the Astros were a massive topic on the radio during the summer. I mean, just huge. And you know, you didn't you didn't really talk about the NFL draft. And 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 when we talked football, we talked about you know we might talk some NFL draft, but mainly it was after the draft was over and then you would talk about the different NFL teams that were out there from, from week to week. And it, and it could be anybody because there's so many people from different cities that live in Houston. So it was anything and everything. And, um, it, it's just really, and, and then plus Jim Rome was huge back then when we first got started in sports radio and it lasted for a while. So, you know, it kind of, that set the tone of, of some of what was on 610 at the time. Some of the listeners had come to expect certain, you know, non-sports stuff, and which was fine with us because John and I really fit into that anyway. Um, we could easily default to that. So now when you, when you listen to sports talk radio, everyone's habits are just really, you know, we're used to turning the channels on television, on radio. We don't stay in the same place. And back then, even if you talked about the Astros and somebody didn't want to hear about it, or if you talked about horse racing, because the Kentucky Derby is on, or you talked about the masters, people would still kind of stick around because there weren't as many options and people were, it's just, that was the habit was just staying where you were. It's just not the case anymore. So now it's a much more microwave sports talk listening audience and TV viewing too. I mean, you know, so if you don't play the hits, quote unquote, which is the old radio term, if you don't talk about what people want to hear about, then you're not going to get the numbers. You're not going to have the listeners. And now, unfortunately, ratings are so much more important now because there's the competition and perception in the market. And before, I never cared what the ratings were. I just knew when I was doing good radio and I knew when shows were fun. And now, you know, you have to worry about it a lot more, which which I think leads to a more of a lowest common denominator radio, unfortunately, which is, you know, a lose-lose for everyone. Again, that was Lance Zerline from 97.5 The Bench. Next up, my old colleague at Channel 55 and the sports director at KPRC Channel 2 for over two decades, Craig Roberts. You're watching Channel 2, Houston's Super Bowl station. He's without a doubt one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. What you see on TV is who Craig Roberts is, and it was a dream for me to work alongside him for a few years when he was hosting Sports Off Center on Channel 55. When you watch TV today, you see one of his original creations every Sunday night after nearly every local newscast. The Sunday night sports show in the Houston market all started off with Craig Roberts and his show Sports Sunday back in 1983. He'll tell you that story just a bit, but first I asked him, if he was working on a book about his life. No, I'm not. My son has encouraged me to do that. I told him that I'm lucky I can read a book, let alone write one. But uh, something's got to pop. You know, it would be a local deal or something. I, uh, You mentioned Mickey Mantle. That was one of the great days of my life. I get a call one day, and I, I'm to go down to uh, uh, what is now, I'm trying to think of the, uh, well, I think it was Foley's at the time. And Mickey Mantle was uh, signing his book, which was co-written by Mickey Herskowitz. And they said, we need somebody to babysit. I said, babysit Mickey Mantle? I'm your guy. So I sat there for two hours. He signed some baseballs. We talked about baseball. I told him, I said, you're never going to remember this, but my dad took me to a White Sox game, to Miskey Park. It goes to inner innings, extra innings. And you hit a home run dead center at Comiskey Park, which at the time was like, 435 at dead center. You hit it like 20 feet. He goes, yeah, I hit it off Billy Pierce. I was like, quit it. 
It was like 25 years ago. You remember that home run? He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I had some really cool Mickey Mantle baseballs, and uh, that was the one day where I just sat with, and, and in my opinion, I know everybody loves Vigio, and he's number seven. You retired Jackie Robinson's number 42. No one else in baseball should wear number seven. That was Mickey Mantle. Craig, I'm still waiting for the anthology DVDs to come out with the best of Sports Sunday. That was my one of my favorite shows. I mean, I couldn't wait till Sunday night to see the the broadcast and about the latest Oilers game. Tell me about that, how, how that came about, and some of your favorite memories from uh, doing that show. We started that in 1983. The news director at the time at Channel 2, Bill Goodman, said we're going to do a Sunday night show. Who wants to do it? Ron Franklin said, well, I'm not doing it because I do the Oiler games, and that left me, and I said, okay, I'm doing it. What's it going to be called? He said, we're going to call it Sports Sunday. And I did over a 1,000 episodes of that before I left Channel 2 in 2002. Well, I didn't leave. He left me. But that's another story. And uh, we did pretty much whatever we wanted to do. We wanted it to be tongue-in-cheek. We wanted to have fun. We sort of started out as a hardcore highlight show, we did. We were Sports Center before Sports Center was on the air, and uh, then it became sort of satirical, and then it became sort of like your high school play, only with adults. And uh, we just had a hell of a lot of fun. That uh, that's that's one thing that I did in my broadcast career that I'm extremely proud of. And even though it only aired once a week, again we did, or I did, I hosted over a thousand of those. You know, what's little known is Channel 11 went up against us about six months into it, and Giff pretty much gave up. He, he, he was easy to beat. And then Channel 26 sort of did a, a show sort of like it, and they got a good rating the first week, and then they disappeared. And uh, 13 never even attempted it. So we, you know, we didn't have that much competition. What I like to say is I started the show in Indianapolis, in 1977 called Trackside 6, and it was a racing show. And then I started Sports Off Center in 19, or uh, Sports Sunday, rather, in 1983. And both those shows are still on the air. The only thing missing is me. Since you've been a sportscaster for so long in the Houston area, what Houston athletes have been the best interviews? And maybe you want to protect the names the worst as well, since we're heading in an R-rated direction, maybe? Maybe. Oh, no, no. I don't, I, it, to me, there were no worse. A lot of people would say, oh, Moses was the worst. I love Moses. Moses got me. I covered the ABA. I covered the Indiana Pacers when they, they were in the ABA. And the first day I walked into the basketball court when the Rockets had Moses Malone, I said, Modine, I covered you when you were in the ABA. And he said, man, you're the only one who did. Never had a problem with him. Randy Johnson walked right up there. Randy? Everybody in this clubhouse is scared of you. I'm not. I was in Vietnam. You're not going to shoot me, are you? You're not DC. And he just started laughing, and we had a great relationship. But, you know, I just, you know, they got me. I mean, I, I put three years in the Marine Corps. I wasn't some punk that was coming off the street. I was a pretty good ball player and played college baseball. I played uh, four sports in high school. And I, was, I, I put a uniform on other than the Cub Scouts, which, most of the talk show guys in Houston now, they, they're on the uniform. They, their mom probably gave them a, you know, a weed low badge or something. But, you know, uh, we were adults. You know, it wasn't that big a deal. We had fun. 
But I will say, in, in getting back to your original question, the all-time best was Charles Barkley. We had a lot of fun. Barkley got it. Do you have some good Barkley stories in those interviews? Oh, Barkley would go into a bar and say, the drinks are on Roberts to 500 people. It was like a cowboy movie. It all charged the bar. Of course, he'd pay for it, but I was sitting there with all the blood draining out of my face. And I was in Seattle one time. I was doing a stand-up, and, uh, you know, I'm doing my best to. And all of a sudden, I hear a guy. Now, this is the shoot-around before the game starts, and I hear, Craig, Craig, Craig. And then all of a sudden, he's yelling. And I turn around, and it's Barkley. And he says, tell my mom I said hello. I said, this show doesn't go to Alabama. He said, okay. I mean, just stupid stuff like that he played right into our hands. And Robert Ory was great. Uh, Kenny Smith. We had a, a fill-in day where I was going on vacation. They said, let's get somebody to take Craig's place, which, of course, Channel 2's management was always trying to figure that one out. So I said, well, let's get Kenny Smith. He really gets it. And so I'd like to think that Kenny, you know, on the TNT and everything, first time he was ever on television as a commentator, he was sitting in for me. And he knows that. And we had fun with it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a fun, uh, a fun occupation. It's not a job. People said to me yesterday, do you have to go to work? I said, well, I have to talk about sports. I don't consider that work. I've, I've dug things. I've carried people, you know. I've I've uh, I've done some hard work, and that's work. But doing what we do is that's not work. That's what we do if we weren't work. And of course, that was Craig Roberts. Besides his anchor duties on Channel Two, he hosted coaches' shows with Jeff Fisher, Bill Yeoman, and basketball Hall of Famer Guy V. Lewis. Craig also called Oilers preseason games with his Channel 2 colleague and later ESPN play-by-play voice Ron Franklin. Next up, let's hear from Craig's old colleague at KPRC, Bart Ennis. Many of you know Bart from his many years on Rockets and Astros telecast, working the sidelines and the studio shows. What you might not know is he's part of a legacy. His father, Bill, was the sports director at KPRC in the 60s and early 70s and occasionally called Astros and Oilers games. Bill Ennis passed away far too young at age 39 back in 1973. You'll hear more about Bart's dad in a bit, but first, let's hear about his memories from working on Sports Sunday with Craig Roberts. My fondest memories of Sports Sunday was just the fact that they, you know, they they turned us loose. Um, Craig Roberts has just an incredible sense of humor, and... You know, I'm kind of the same way, and Spencer Tillman's the same way, and all of us that worked back there, we just wanted the show to be fun. And that was sort of our outlet to do whatever we wanted to do and have fun with it. And to the station's credit at that time, you know, nobody else was doing that, as you said. And they never tried to, you know, stop us from having fun or doing some sort of wacky, bizarre things on the air at times. And, you know, certainly I did a little thing called Hockey Bart where I did a – a hockey report, you know, every other week, uh, dressed up as one of the McKinsey brothers, you know, with my stupid Canadian accent. And, um, you know, it was just, we just had fun. And that made the job more fun. It made, you know, everything we did during the week, you know, we're covering the more hardcore stuff and whatnot. And then on Sundays, we could do all that. But then we had an additional half hour after that 
to do whatever we wanted to do and just have some fun back there. And um, that's my, my best memory of it is just how much fun it was to do that show and work on that show and how the creativity back in that sports office would just start flowing and we'd come up with these ideas. And it was like a much smaller scale, like a Saturday Night Live deal where you just sort of brainstorm ideas and then we start laughing and then we go with it. And um, turned out the viewers enjoyed it too. Our rule of thumb on that show was always, you know, if we thought it was entertaining or funny, we were going to do it. And we didn't, you know, we didn't really consider whether the audience thought it was funny. It was just that we think it was funny. And apparently, most of the time, the audience enjoyed it, too. So, because um, the show always got great ratings. It was one of the few times I can remember where uh, a locally produced show that followed your, sub, your late Sunday newscast actually caused the ratings to go up. Most of the time, after that Sunday night newscast, everybody goes to bed. At that time, our our it was pretty consistent. Our ratings would go up when Sports Sunday started, and that was a good thing. Yeah, that's where a lot of us really got to know you was with Hockey Bard, and yeah, uh, that was great stuff. I, yeah. I don't I don't know how many people are aware of this, but your dad Bill was the sports director at Channel Two. He called Oilers and Astros games. He also worked on the sideline for the network telecast telecast of Super Bowls five and seven. Of course, Super Bowl seven is known because the Dolphins won that one to finish off that last undefeated and perfect season that we've ever seen. You are just a kid back then, but uh, can you share some stories with uh, us about uh, those Super Bowls or the early days of him broadcasting Oilers and Astros? Yeah, you know, my dad did the um, – <laughs> he, he was in the winning locker room for Super Bowl seven, and he's the one who – he, he kind of had to drag Daryl Yopremian over to the camera to talk about that weird play where he attempted a pass and Mike Bass ran it back for Washington's only touchdown. To this day, it's one of the ugliest plays in the history of the Super Bowl. Um, and Dad had to sort of drag him over there to the camera and make him talk about it because he really didn't want to. Um, it's funny because I, uh, you know, I, I watch the NFL Network from time to time, and they do all these, you know, historic shows about NFL, NFL films, and all that. And occasionally, Dad will pop up on there, you know. And it's kind of neat to be able to turn to my two sons, who obviously never knew him and say, hey, that's your grandfather. They're on the NFL Network, and they, they think that's pretty cool. Um, but Dad, uh, you know, we moved here in 1968 okay, when he took over the older play-by-play job full-time, and he just loved the game. He loved the game of football. My dad didn't necessarily like, um, you know, fame and all that stuff. And back in those days, you have to remember, there were only four TV stations. And if you were one of the local anchors or if you were on television in any way, shape, or form, you were considered a major celebrity, you know. And so, But my dad never really enjoyed that part of it or didn't do it for that reason. He did it because he loved sports. You know, he was, he was a three-sports or a three sports star in high school growing up, went to LSU on a football scholarship. Uh, he was a quarterback, and he just loved the game. And that's why he got hurt in college and – his career was over, but he got into broadcasting because that continued to be his outlet into into athletics, and that's what he was all about. And so um, it was it was fun growing up <clears throat> before he passed away to you know share all that stuff with him. And he coached a couple of my teams, and you know I would <laughs> I remember I would have friends come over to the house after school or whatever, and they just wanted to stand there and stare at my dad because again it was like wow you know there's Bill Ennis, and they would just, you know I'd have to say hey guys let's go outside and play. Um, but he, he just loved it. He loved the city of Houston, and he loved to talk about sports to anybody who would walk up to him and just, you know, they would obviously want to say, oh, I think you're so great and everything else. And he would just stand there. He was just so nice to people and always treated people the right way. And 
um, that's one of my fondest memories of my father was how much he loved what he did and he loved talking to other people about it. That was Bart Ennis, who I can tell you from working occasionally with Bart over the years, also treats people the right way and absolutely loves what he does as well. Now let's hear from one more Houston sports casting icon, KHOU Channel 11 anchor and my friend, Matt Musil. Hard to believe, but Matt's been at Channel 11 for nearly 40 years now, four decades you're about to hear him look back at some of his favorite memories from those early years in just a bit. Keep in mind, when I interviewed him, it was prior to the Astros championship, so we don't bring that up. You might be familiar with Matt, but what you probably don't know is how he got started in his early years growing up in Kansas. No, I was blessed to um, grow up in an athletic family. You know, the movie The Natural well, my dad was a semi-pro baseball player, and he was legendary up in those parts, his skill level. He played on different teams, but he was a farmer. You know, all those guys in that movie, they weren't just baseball players. They all had jobs, and that's how it was back then. I grew up with a, a love for baseball. It was ingrained in me, and I grew up on a farm. My mom, she always encouraged me. She played on the county championship basketball team you know this was back way back when i'm talking about when she was growing up as a young kid was in like the 30s so that was before it was cool to be a woman you know a woman basketball player but she always took pride in the fact that her team won the county championship and they always encouraged me so i was always playing sports from the time i could walk I always had a ball in my hand was doing something i grew up outside of kansas city Went to Kansas State, I played baseball, basketball, football, and I ran track. I was a standout baseball player. All I ever wanted to do was I want my dad made it to semi-pro ball. I wanted to get past that. I wanted to play in the majors. That's what I wanted to do. I break my elbow. I had a lot of soul searching at that point. I was already taking radio TV classes, just kind of messing around at K-State. Man, I need to. I need to dedicate myself to this because I was going to have a long rehab process. In the meantime, I got into it. It got me out of baseball, that injury, and I wanted to stay close to athletics. I knew nothing about radio TV. I want to talk to you a little bit about your favorite moments over the last 35 years. And you get here in 1980, and you're right in the middle of Love You Blue, and the Astros are having a fantastic era, and, and, and the Rockets are about to go to a finals. So you get here in a fantastic time. I'll start off with the Oilers because it's amazing to me that it's been 20 years since they were here. And not only that, if you're 20 years old in Houston and you grew up here, you don't even remember the Houston Oilers. What is your favorite memory of the Oilers? What sticks out for you from all that time? Well, during uh, Love You Blue 1, I was working in Columbus, Georgia at the ABC TV station. I'd started out in Wichita, CBS. Before that, I was doing radio. I started play-by-play. I started doing play-by-play. Uh, when I was in college, I just love it. It's one of my favorite things to do in, in life. I'm in the hospital. I had my wisdom teeth taken out. Love You Blue One was on TV. Each week, I would pick against a computer for two seasons in a row. I was picking against a computer every Friday night. We were picking the odds and, and point spreads for NFL games. The Oilers were awesome, man. They were, <laughs> they were not only fun to watch, but they were good. I could beat the computer on it. So I'm laying in bed, not feeling very well, woozy, and watching Love You Blue 1. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is fantastic. That is cool. It's super cool. 
when I come in for my interview, Dan Patrick is now the lieutenant governor, and uh, Jerry Levin, who wound up being a hostage in Iran when he worked for CNN, those were the guys in this station back then. That's how far back that was. I come in. We go to a place called Steak and Stomp, and we go in there. They've got the Love You Blue band there doing Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers. And every, I mean, my hair stood on end. I was so fired up. I was ready to sign whatever contract they had at that point. And then to be around Bum, my good friend Bum Phillips. I was only around one season. That guy was so awesome. He was, you know, San Angelo wasn't awesome. But being around Bum, just the kind of man he was, was such a treat. And we were all felt like we'd been kicked in the gut when Bud fired him you know, on New Year's Day at the end of the season. Shouldn't have happened, but it did. The Rockets championship, is that pretty much the thing that sticks out most to you besides the Love You Blue era? Those championship years, we all cried. The first championship, we were in tears, man. It was so cool. As far as the, the games with the Oilers, they were all fun. Dante and Bum would tell you when he was alive, was the biggest mistake he ever made was Dante had asked him to get to trade him if they didn't go all the way in 79, which they didn't. And Bum says, stupidest thing I ever did. I don't know if he said stupid or dumbest. I think dumbest. He would have said dumb. Dumbest thing I ever did was do what Dan asked me to do. I should have never traded him. Because when Snake comes in, he's here in 1980, it just wasn't the same team. Because Kenny um, was a good quarterback, but he, there was not that deep threat that Dante had. But it was always fun. It was just fun being around a team and all that. And, well, there were no great victories during that era. We had fun, and there was craziness, and they won more than they lost. But there wasn't that flashpoint moment when they had that big championship like when we do with Rudy T and, and the Rockets. I'm going to reverse on you again. The Rockets, it all started with me. My first year I was here, my first road trip was NLCS to Philadelphia. So the Astros were in the playoffs. J.R. Ewing had a stroke. I get here the day I come in from my interview, all the sportscasters are on the air, radio and TV, apologizing because they were criticizing J.R. for being lazy. And then he has a stroke. J.R. Richard, by the way. J.R. Ewing was also popular back in 1980. I'm sorry. J.R. Ewing. Yeah, J.R. Richard. See, there you go. Senility sleeping in, uh, sleeping in there. So that happened. Astros make the playoffs. Oilers make the playoffs. The Rockets go to the NBA Finals. My first year. It was awesome going to the Celtic. And Moses Malone and company almost did it. They almost pulled it off. My buddy Bill Fitch. Of course, with the coach of the Boston Celtics back then. So when you talk about Rockets or, or Astros, I go way back. And the Astros, that first year, 1980, they could have won it all. They could have won it all. They didn't. There were some quirky calls that went against them because they're leading that series. And they should have won it all, I thought. And oh, it just makes me ill to think of it. 86, they could have won it all. But Mike Scott was doing his thing. The Mets were scared of him. They could have won it all that year also. Those were the two best teams. I thought a lot of people will say 97 with Randy. I don't think they were as good as the 80 team or the 86 team. And the 05 team, Lance Burton was the first to admit, he said, man, we weren't that good of a hitting team. Now, Lance was always awesome. 
and they were a good inning, a good clutch inning team. But he said it's always about pitching. It is always about pitching. But so many great memories. When I just see that, when I see those guys, those former players, or running to Bill Verdon when I would see him, or just people from that era, we just start laughing because it was so much fun. It was a different era, and we had fun. I'm awash with all kinds of memories when you ask me for one specific time. And let me go back to another. You didn't ask me about this, but the University of Houston. I had great memories with University of Houston because part of the frustration the city felt was when Faisalama Jamma had the best team by far in this nation, and they fell short in 83. And it was my job to interview somebody live right after that game. Well, you can imagine how everybody was getting lost. No, we can't. No, we're all tied up. We can't. You know, he couldn't find anybody. But I did. I interviewed the captain, David Rose, who's now the head coach of BYU. He had the guts enough to come on. It was it was gut-wrenching. But that's what paved the way for one frustrating thing after another, after another, after another. Because in 80-81 season, the Rockets weren't expected to win. It was great that they got to the finals. But after that, when the UH fails in 83, they fail in 84. And then the Rockets and the Astros in 86 couldn't couldn't get it done. So it was just the, the all that frustration built up. This insi- entire city exhaled in 95 when they won that championship. Rudy T will be revered by everyone who was alive back then because of what he did for this city. And Akeem Olajuwon, all those guys. Uh, Kenny Burrow used to say, Kenny Burrow, the former uh, oiler, he said, we were so popular we could pee in the streets and no one would say anything. <laughs> That's how popular the Rockets became. And you saw this whole community get revved up over Rocket Red. I got my Clutch City t-shirt on right now. I just came from the gym. This is a great sports town. Uh, I've had news directors met multiple come through here through the years and said well it's not a great sports city so you only get two minutes or whatever that's not the case and our news director now knows it's not the case but i've had it in the past say ah sports not that big a deal you know are you kidding me just because we haven't had a big winner yes it is a big deal it's the attitude of this entire community fort bent county harris county montgomery county everything adjacent to houston the attitude goes up and down with our sports teams. And if people say it doesn't, they're lying to themselves. Oh, yes, Matt. Sports definitely matter in Houston. Or eh, many of you wouldn't be listening to me right now. Once again, that was Matt Musil, who's one of the most kind and generous people you'll ever meet. I've gotten a chance to see him quite frequently with my work on KHOU's Inside High School Sports. Matt hosts the show Saturday mornings at 8.30 during high school football and basketball season. That's all we got for this one. I hope you guys enjoyed our walk down memory lane with the most iconic Houston sportscasters over the last four decades. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.